0: Welcome to episode one of Pandora's podcast. Um, I'm Danielle. And I'm Nadia. Hi. And uh, this is a new endeavour for us. For the past, well, the best part of a year, we have been talking to each other. We're best friends, two women living in London. We wanted to start a blog initially to share our views and thoughts because we often have conversations between ourselves um, that we think a lot of other women would probably be able to identify with. And I think that was the beginning of our thought about getting all this down in a blog form.
1: But what we did find is that the writing you know in a, in a blog form wasn't always the best way to convey the rawness of our conversations. Yeah. So we felt that
0: we could incorporate podcasts and today that's what we're going to bring to you. So welcome to episode one and um, we do have a website which is at pandorasecretbox.com So feel free to visit the website where you can download our podcasts and there'll be further podcasts coming. And if you log on to Anchor FM or any other place where you get your podcasts, you should be able to find us under Pandora's podcast. So welcome. I suppose the subject of this podcast and I suppose the reason that we decided to have an in-person conversation about this is because a lot of women uh, at this point in time are reflecting on the tragic death of Sarah Everard the um, young woman in her 30s who was making her way home walking home um, of an evening after visiting a friend and um, was tragically killed and I think that resonated with a lot of women who've faced harassment abuse on the streets or fear out walking particularly at night and so Nadia Nadia and I started having conversations about how we felt about our own experiences as women and obviously previously as as young women and girls. And I think at that point for the first time we shared with each other. And although we share a lot of things with each other, we really shared experiences with each other and had a conversation on a deeper level about how systematic this is and how systemic it is and just how often it happens.
1: Yeah, I think when we heard in the media about Sarah, We just had a general conversation, phone conversation, and um, it just was so spontaneous in the way that we just started pouring and sharing so many experiences that we'd both had. And some of the experiences were so small but very significant. You know, the experiences that it's really hard to describe to someone that actually I was abused or I was taken advantage of by a male. I think it's really important that we as women... Have these conversations because it's really hard sometimes to identify what abuse is. I mean, at school, we're taught about the obvious of abuse, you know, and it tends to be, you know, very identifiable abuse that you can go to someone and say, this happened and that happened. But then there's the subtle abuse that happens, um, which often starts um, in our teens. Um, A lot of it can happen in our teens from experience. And it's, it's, it's a form of grooming it's not necessarily your big grooming like what happened in Rotherham you know a big gang of you know men grooming young girls vulnerable girls but it can be so subtle that it's really really hard to come out and speak up and I think that's why today we want to sort of speak up not necessarily to tell of all of our experiences but just to bring that openness so that maybe we can protect more women more young girls and um, highlight what really does go on, you know, from our early years as a young woman.
0: Yeah, and I think during our our telephone conversations that we had between ourselves um, throughout this week and some of the experiences that we shared with each other, as I said, you know, we, we know quite a lot about each other. We've been best friends for many years and there were experiences that we shared that hadn't come out before. And I, I think part of that was, you know, it was that it was tucked in the back of our minds part of it was that the frequency of the harassment or abuse that we'd suffered throughout our teen years and and, and years as as women was was just so frequent um in nature
1: it was just became normal almost it was yeah <laughs> it was you know
0: yeah, that you had to dip into your memory to actually retrieve incidents because we were, you know, during our conversations, we were saying to each other, oh, yeah, I just remembered this time where this happened and it wasn't on the tip of our tongue because you, you sort of bury it because it's not a one off. It happens all the time. It happens to women and girls all day, every day, everywhere. And so I think we started to ask ourselves the question that, you know, clearly a lot of women find themselves in precarious situations all the time. Um, and, and why haven't we had this conversation sooner? Obviously, in relation to the tragic events that have happened um, in relation to Sarah, that sparked a big conversation uh, amongst women, particularly on social media, where women felt that, you know, now was the time to come out and share their experiences. And just the amount, the scale of it was just enormous. And I think that that did spark conversations between women, between, you know, women family members and on social media and in the community about... It, it was almost like the Me Too movement. Mm. Um, and every single woman I've spoken to has a story to tell. Most have several. Yeah. Um, I suppose the question is, why, why haven't we talked about this sooner? Yeah, well, I mean that was a question that i did post
1: to daniel earlier um why have i not ever spoken up or said about these situations and it was really hard to come to um a conclusive answer i i mean i think it there was an umbrella of um you know categories i mean there was the stigma um of that's happened to me um then there was the shame you know um because oftentimes you feel like you might have been partially to blame. And um, when it comes to abuse, when somebody takes advantage, I don't feel like you should ever feel like you are to blame, Um, whether or not it's because of something you were wearing or because initially you put yourself forward um, in terms of, uh, you know, you like this person, um, that doesn't mean I have a right. Um, then it, you know. And then there's that self blame because you know maybe if I hadn't have gone there, then that wouldn't have happened. He wouldn't have assumed. Um, so yeah, there was a, there was quite a. And then there was also the. The fear of like letting even like my mother down because you know I came from a strong household where I was taught you know um, about abuse and how to identify certain types of abuse and how to keep yourself safe um, but sometimes it's impossible to keep yourself safe because you're not in that position of control and um, I think there are very you know many there's very many reasons why women are not speaking up and um, I think we have to end that I think we have to end that to ensure that future generations of women are not so vulnerable because if we had probably shared some of these situations with you know maybe younger women we could have um, you know averted certain situations because only those who are in that situation you know uh, are the best people to advise you know sometimes it's experience. That can help to stop somebody else's terrible experience or future experience.
0: Yeah, and I think that the shame element of it—I certainly know that I have stories from my teens um, where, you know, my—I consider my behaviour at the time, in hindsight, to be quite outrageous, and I still feel that I—I I put myself in harm's way without realising it. That at the time I felt that I was this, you know, lady. I was a grown-up woman, and you know, I could handle this stuff that I knew enough about that that part of life and that part of the world that I could totally handle this and in hindsight I see a little girl who was utterly exploited but I read something earlier today and apologies because I can't credit the author because my my memory fails me but it talked about um, that element of the stigma and the, the way that we present sexual harassment and abuse and you know we so often hear about you know this this woman this girl got raped or this woman fell pregnant as a teen or this you know this this is a teen pregnancy she got pregnant but we very rarely frame it in the way that this this guy got this girl pregnant or this guy raped somebody mm. it, it it's always framed around you know the women the woman as the victim yeah or, you know in some cases you know the perpetrator or instigator of something that happened to her and I think that needs to change. We need to shift the the narrative of the way that we tell stories of where men have perpetrated violence against women yeah. um, and put that on the men where it where it belongs. Yeah,
1: I think I think that is definitely something that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, I the, Danielle, I I have just had this thought, and I thought, you know, being a young woman and being in these situations, what kind of men, like what was what was what did they look like? Not physically, but what was the uh, what's the word? What was their kind of format and um how did it all kind of play out? And and one thing that I can say um was a common theme amongst all of these men is that they were older men. Mm. None of there wasn't there's not one situation that I can personally recall as a as a young woman, and I'm talking about in my early teens, from about 14 um to maybe 17, 18, where they were a lot older. <clears throat> Any of the incidents that I can recall, the men were always older. It wasn't, you know, young men my own age. Um, so again, I'm looking at it from a point of view that this was a power sort of struggle um with these men because th- you know, I'm not saying they wouldn't have attempted some of their behaviours on older women, women, but I would bet you that any woman that they had similar situations that I experienced, those were younger women. And um, that's alarming because they're in a position where even if you as a young woman didn't know better and didn't realise that, that you were being advo- taken advantage of or were vulnerable they probably knew, and I believe they did know, you know? Yes.
0: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I, I read some statistics earlier this week in The Guardian. Um, they said 97% of women aged 18 to 24 had been sexually harassed. So almost all young women, yeah. 80% of um, women of all ages have experienced sexual harassment in public spaces. And just going back to um, what you spoke about there, about these men generally being older, I think my only recollection of boys or, you know, people of my age group was the, at secondary school with the the bra pinging. Yeah. And that was really the only experience. But that, I think, goes to show that these sorts of um, assaults upon young women do start at a very early age. And boys... And men see that they can they can get away with it to a certain level. They can laugh it off. They can joke it off, and it's not taken seriously. So I think that there has to be um, a level of education that starts for for boys and, oh, and girls yeah. at a very young age. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think that education has to go beyond um, our usual um, sex education and abuse awareness that we're you're um, rolling out into our schools. Um, that that this this matter has to really, the education has to start a lot younger. And I think um, the content has to change. I think it's it's not enough. The education is not enough because even talking to my own son um, who was going off to university this year, I mean, we've always had conversations, but we did have a, a, you know, I did have a very big conversation because I thought, well, you know, he's gonna be out there on his own and, you know, he's gonna have probably relations with women. And I had a conversation that it wasn't a really a thought-out or planned conversation, but I think, with my background and and um, experiences, I really drummed into him, you know, how precarious it is for him as a young man, on you know, in terms of how he conducts himself in a sexual manner with women, the way that that conversation. Um, developed I think is the type of conversations that we need to have in schools it has to be really raw and it has to be honest and it has to be you know it it was the conversation I had got to the point where it was almost like listen even if you're having sex with a woman and it's you're in like you know total bliss if she says stop son you have to stop there's no finishing there's no you know, wait. If a woman says no, or if a woman says stop, it has to stop. And that's, you know, something that I really drummed into him because I can confess there's been situations where I've been in those situations and they haven't stopped or they haven't listened to no. And that was an abuse. I mean, it's very, there's, you know, there's such a blurry line between was it rape or not when you're in those situations. But as far as I'm concerned, if a woman says no or stop, it has to stop. It has to stop. And we have to start that education in a better manner. I think it has to be, it's the, the depth of, of what we're being taught in schools is not enough.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I have my, myself, I have so many experiences that I could share, but I've, I've kind of picked out two just to, I think, just to demonstrate sort of from one extreme to another. And it goes back, the first one goes back to what you were saying earlier, Nadia, about um, an element of power and control. So my, one of my earliest um, sexual abuse experiences actually took place and was perpetrated by my childhood family GP. Right. And this was a pattern of abuse with, with this particular man. And it took many, many years for the dozens of women and children that he'd abused to be taken seriously there were misconduct trials, there were allegations that went on for more than a decade where he, you know, you know, there wasn't enough evidence. And without going into too much detail, uh, it was it was quite high, a high profile case. And he was eventually sentenced at the old Bailey, and he's now serving 10 years in prison. Mm -hmm. And that I think demonstrates that You know, perhaps in our minds, we think um, quite often as someone who's a rapist or or a serial abuser, we're expecting some shady character lurking in the bushes. You know, we've got this image in our mind of that guy looks a bit dodgy, whereas this guy looks really friendly and I know he's got a wife and children. Mm. And I think that's something, that's another stigma that we have to break, that these these can be...
1: They come in all shapes and sizes and, and I think that's the worrying thing isn't it for for a person that when you're looking at a person in an authoritative thing, you know position such as a doctor or a policeman um then it makes that even sort of much harder and i don't think it should be hard i don't think we should be in that position where we feel like it's hard there there's there's got there's clearly um something wrong when we feel that because of someone holds a position in society that we can't get justice or we can't complain. And I think that is also something that we have to, um, you know, really assess and look at. Um, And that's, yeah, I think that's something that definitely needs to to be dealt with further, you know, Um, Mm. because it shouldn't have taken a decade for people to be taken seriously. If you've got people you know, even if it's dribbles of people independently saying that, you know, something's happened here mm. and it took that length of time for him to continue doing what he was doing, then something's cl- very wrong, isn't there? Something's
0: c- clearly wrong with our, our justice system. Yeah, absolutely. And I wonder if if you'd been a career criminal instead or, you know, had a long criminal history, whether those allegations would have been taken seriously sooner. Um, But it just, it does go to show all of these men have mothers, most of them will have, you know, female siblings, perhaps girlfriends, wives, children, and so I think, as I said, it's really important that we address what our view is of, and and that's not to say that we, we ought to be scared and wary of all men, because that's a horrible way to live, but I do think we have to appreciate that, you know, that, as you said, you know the power and authority that that men have over over girls and women in gen in society in general plays a role and enables these situations to occur yeah, yeah. it's funny isn't it because um after um
1: hearing of um sarah's murder um because i've got a daughter myself a young you know she's a primary school age child and um I she's I, you know I started to have like this almighty dread that oh my gosh she's going off to secondary school soon she's going to be traveling on her own um how do I keep her safe and um I looked online <laughs> as you do googled like you know what how can I keep her safe and one of the first things that came up was um basically a rape alarm so I went on to you know uh a site and ordered a, a pack of free alarms, um, which I'm still yet to receive. But I, I afterwards I thought, well, is this it? Is is this all that I'm going to rely on to keep my daughter safe? Is this all that is being offered? You know, um, I think it's, we're gonna have to really, really look at and work hard to find a way that we can teach our daughters, especially, you know, How we can keep them safe, and quite frankly, I don't feel like a rape alarm is enough. Um, You know, I started to think about self defense classes. I mean, I, you know, I've I've had all kinds of crazy thoughts on how will I keep this this child of mine safe on her travels um, and her journey through, you know, life attending secondary school. So. I do think there's something more that can be done. I mean, ideally, in an ideal world, we'd want men just to behave themselves, treat women with respect, you know. But that's not going to happen, you know. We, throughout history, sexual abuse has always been there. Um, but I think there's going to have to be a change in how we empower our women to keep safe and to talk up when things do happen, and for there to be more than just
0: a rape alarm to rely on to hopefully keep ourselves safe yeah absolutely and i'm um in the in the process of actually buying i think the same set of three rape alarms, which is it's it's a sad state of affairs isn't it now i mean uh my my eldest daughter um is at secondary school and whilst we were you know this period of self-reflection that a lot of women were going through and sharing their stories on social media i thought about my eldest daughter and i know that she's already had two um encounters of um sexual harassment in public and you know she's she's in her early teens and how did she keep how how
1: how was that dealt with uh, like how in those in those because i you know i i I remember kind of we having a brief conversation about those situations but how was it danielle that she managed to stay safe and it ended just as sexual harassment and
0: nothing more what what was Mm -hmm. it you know how was she able to well, I think I think that she, you know, she has more knowledge than I sometimes give her credit for, you know, she mm-hmm. said to me, you know, I know that if I get on a bus and, you know, uh, someone who's drunk tries to speak to me, I just keep my eyes down and I avoid eye contact and I sit next to a, a woman um, and, you know, try and engage with a conversation with a friend, ignore them. Um, and, and on one of these occasions, the police had to get involved. It was a, it was something that happened on on public transport. Mm-hmm. And on another occasion. um it was, it was um, sort of dealt with well it was dealt with by her dad actually but the the mere fact that this stuff is happening to our children is is harrowing and the fact that we really feel like we don't have any control over the situation and that we don't really know what to do or how how best to protect them as you say is it self-defense classes is it a rape alarm you know do we buy some sort of mace spray for our kids school bags uh, is that what it's come to um, and I think that's 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 a burden that women girls and mothers just have to carry around mm. every day every day and that's got to change
1: yeah it's funny because talking about the burden that women carry um when you know when a few nights ago I had a conversation with my partner of 15 years and I said to him you know about you know like when I say, for instance, if I go to see a friend and I come home late and I've used public transport, so I've got a train station. And when I come off the train, it's literally a five minute walk from the train station to my front door. And I said to him, you know, do you know that those five minutes are like the most horrendous five minutes walk? You know, that I'm, I'm high alert, my adrenaline is pumping. I have keys ready for a, a, a possible attack. Um, I, I know how many steps it takes to get from my front door to, you know, from the station to my front door. Um, you know, I've devised tactics of how I walk in the middle of my road, up the road, so that I know that I can be seen, you know. And I said to him, do you ever, like, when you walk home from the station, uh, even if you're drunk, like, like, do you have those fears? And he was like, no, I don't really think about it. I just want to get home. You know so that goes to show the difference in like our fear levels and our risk levels as women you know yeah. i'm I'm walking five minutes home and I have already devised a plan of if someone attacks me from behind what I'm gonna do you know that that's that is insane that for five minutes at eleven o'clock at night, I'm already preempting a possible attack and how I'm going to
0: deal with it, yeah. And I, and I think it's crazy as well that this is the first time that we've really had this conversation with each other and with other women and w- women amongst themselves. I had the same conversation with my husband and I said, you know, when you're out at night, do you feel fearful? Do you feel like you could come under attack? What, what, you know, what? how do you feel when you go out and you're walking in the dark? And he said, the only time I really feel nervous is if I'm taking cash out at an ATM, and I'm always sort of vigilant to think, oh, I could get mugged or something. And I thought, my goodness, what what a free life to live! It's yeah, that's that. That feels like a luxury. You
1: know, you know, I wouldn't even see as a woman. I wouldn't even go and take cash out at night on my own. And and look at that diff. That's a, that's that is such a big difference. It's not even necessarily about the fear of um um you know losing my money but it's just the whole concept of I could be hurt by a man in the dark you know more than just about the money you know it could be something it could turn into something more that is just like insane that this is like and I so if that's something that I thought of and had the conversation with my partner and you've had the same how many of us are out there thinking the same that fear of when you're almost at your door and you're almost now in breaking into a run to jam your key into the door and get through that door because you've got this imaginary sort of like attack possibly going to just about to happen because we know that we're more vulnerable we read about attacks that happen on us we um, have experienced uh, situations that have made us scared and vulnerable we know people are feeling the situation other women like it's absolutely like enormous Like, this is something that's so big, yet it gets so minimised. Like, it's not talked about enough, it's not dealt with harshly, it's not educated enough. This has something that really, I think Sarah's murder has really evoked something in me that I didn't realise was there, you know, that it was there that it should come out and it was there that it needs to be addressed and it was there that it's really affected me, and you know i I really hope that we get to a place where we are not so much of a victim,
0: yeah yeah, know. I certainly felt that you know the key in the door moment we talked about um that moment where you you're getting home and you you almost lose control of your hands trying to get the key in the door, and that that fear of as you said, an imaginary person behind you you know getting you at the last minute whilst your back is turned to the door. Yeah. And um, again, I asked my husband about the key in the door moment. And I think the key in the door moment is something a lot of women can identify with, but men have no idea. And the the only way that I could kind of try and get him to understand is I said, do you, do you remember times when you were a little boy and you were scared of the dark and you had to go up to run upstairs when all the lights were off downstairs and you felt like there was something chasing you? It's that fear. It's that same fear that you're going to be someone, something's going to get you. Yeah. It's all consuming. Yeah.
1: And then there's the real fears when you do actually find yourself walking in the dark and the street is empty and then a man is then behind you. And that, you know, that kind of brings up for me, you know, like huge anxiety to be in that situation. You know, like I will wait if I get to the end of my road and I look up and I can see that, you know, there's men or a man who's about to walk, you know, in the same direction, I will actually stop and pretend to be doing something, or, you know, pull out my phone, or even, there's been times when I've even had a pretend conversation to make it sound like I'm talking to my partner, and, you know, yes, I'm on my way home, Um, you know, I'll see you in a minute, I'm not talking to anybody, but it's almost like I have to make this person aware that I'm not truly you know on my own here that somebody's at the other end of the line you know if you do anything to me you know you're going to be heard or you're going to be seen you know it's just it's just so much anxiety like it feels like I'm fighting you go you almost like you're fighting a war when you go out like there's a there's
0: a war that could happen at any time you've, um, you've triggered a memory for me um of something that I read as a teen in one of these teen magazines and um, it said, if you ever feel scared out on the street, obviously it was a young woman's magazine, knock on any door and start shouting men's names right. you're being followed. So obviously the, the, the person following you will think that, you know, obviously you are either live in that house or, you know, and, and they yeah. men's names being called, that you know, they better get out of there. Yeah. But I mean, the fact that that was being shared at that time. I mean, w- women shouldn't have to devise tactics no. in order to not be attacked or make an attack no. less. Well,
1: it, it, even like um, I had a friend um who I don't know. We were just having a conversation, and she said to me, "Oh, you should always walk with a condom." This is this is now talking about tactics for women. Mm. And she said to me, "You know, you should always walk with a condom." And I was like, "What? What do you mean I should always walk with a condom?" She said, "Oh." you know if you were ever to get attacked to the point where you were going to be raped you should um just tell him you're you know, you've got HIV or you've got AIDS or you're on your period and make him wear this like wear a condom mm. and, I, and that really crushed my spirit my soul my everything to think that as a woman I need to walk with a condom so that if I do get raped it's a safe enough rape yeah. I mean that is incredible that another woman has even thought of that
0: yeah and we were talking the other day about um my my school friend as a teen um her mum was a, a district nurse and she talked to us about rape and we, we're talking about the 90s here I don't know whether that makes a difference or not but she said to me um and, and my friend if you do get raped the best thing you can do is pretend that you're into it and thank him at the end because it means he's less likely to kill you afterwards well if he thinks that there was some element of consent right wow but talking about um you know nighttime fears um my the second um experience that i wanted to share actually happened in broad daylight and this is going back a few years and this was very shortly after my third daughter was born and um I just had a cesarean, and for some reason I was full of energy and I thought, I'm gonna do the morning school run because it was my husband that was usually doing it. And I thought, nope, I'm gonna go out and take her to school. And I was walking back, and my new baby must have been only about six weeks old. Yeah. So um I was obviously still very, very vulnerable physically and emotionally. And I went across the road at some traffic lights, and you know, I hit the button waiting for the green man, and on the other side I saw a guy who was quite tall, quite old, and I, and I clocked him, as you do. And as we crossed in the middle of the road, we, we crossed paths with each other and he reached around and he grabbed and groped my bottom. And I froze in the middle of the road and I looked back at him and I looked at the cars that were stopped in front of me, almost like, did, I imagine, did that just happen? Did anyone see this? And I quickly got to the other side of the road and I pulled my phone out and I took a photograph of him. And um, I reported it to the police and actually they, this, this I don't want to say gentleman because he certainly wasn't, this man was well known in the area for sexual assaults and um, he was arrested and he actually got a prison sentence. And I think that was because he had a long track history and was probably, well, they didn't share the details with me, but was probably out on some sort of license that he breached through Mm -hmm. that crime. Um, But I couldn't shake the feeling that that could have been at that time of day, that could have been any young schoolgirl. And actually the police officer said to me when I showed them the photograph, yeah, we know who this guy is. Yeah, he's very well known, unfortunately. Mm. And um, if if it means anything, don't take it personally. It wasn't you, it would have been any woman. And I thought it would have it could have been my daughter then. It could have been and
1: to say not to take it personally, whether or not this man has a track record on mental health to determine to just to, to tell you to make that decision as to not to take it personally or not mm. is that actually that in itself if you if you think about those words not to take it personally it was a personal attack on you mm. it was it, they don't know your track history of you know what's happened you know to you so you know even those words mm. that, that you know they they shouldn't have even been said
0: And I think even amongst my girlfriends, um, I mentioned it to uh, another girlfriend and she said, oh, gosh, you'd expect, you know, to get groped in a nightclub, but not in broad daylight. I wanted to say to her, no, we shouldn't we shouldn't expect to get groped. Yeah. Why
1: why is it expected? Because, I mean, I've, I've had experiences that because I think we always imagine that these horrible things are happening at night. But even, you know, the funny thing is, I was with my child. She was about one at the time. I It was broad daylight. It was early afternoon. I'd left a playgroup with her. I'd just moved to this to the area that I was living in. And I decided to take a different route through some flats. Because, I, you know, I'd never experienced that walk. And I thought, well, let's just see, you know, what it's like. Um, as I sort of get into this block of flats, I'm walking with the baby in the pushchair. And um, I just remember this man calling me. And my first thing was like, oh, no, I'm, you know, because that's your thing. No, I've got a partner and I've got a baby, you know, like making him aware I'm not available. And um, I thought that was it. And I continued to walk. And then I realised that he was um, really like very close behind me. So I started to hasten my steps. And then I realised this man is hastening his steps. And honestly, I mean, I was very fit and I'm a very tall person, a very good runner at that point and I ran for my life, and this man, although he wasn't pursuing me at a super fast pace, he was coming after me, I ended up running through flats that I didn't even know, hiding behind the car, and calling my partner, and praying that my daughter didn't make a noise, because I felt so frightened, and this was in broad daylight, this was not a a night thing, this is not a nightclub thing, we're talking about the brazenness of these things can happen in broad daylight, mm. you know, and they are so brave that they will even attempt that in in the middle of the day, where they could be seen, identified,
0: caught. Mm. Um, and, I, and I think that, um, you know, the criminal justice system as well, um. The, the number of convictions for sexual assaults and rapes are so low that it seems women and girls often don't come forward because they feel like there's no point there's no point in reporting it and i mean even in the case that I just just mentioned um, obviously there was an outcome in that this guy you know served a prison sentence um, and I, as I said it wasn't I, I think that was because he had had a previous record but you know, they took it very seriously, the police, or or at least they portrayed to to be doing so, you know, they confiscated, I say confiscated, they they took my leggings for DNA purposes, but I don't think they ever got tested, and and actually by the end of it, I was just more annoyed that I didn't get my Marks and Spencer's leggings back, Um, and it felt like, although justice had been done, I I, I didn't feel like justice had been done, I didn't feel that it was properly, you know, it, it almost felt like when they were dealing with it, that this was a on the minor end of things, and perhaps yeah. at the time I was, you know, I was post-natal. Or I was very vulnerable, um, but it really, it really changed something in my perception. And it comes after many, many years. You know, I'm I'm in my mid-thirties now, and you and I were talking the other day about experiences that we've had from a very young age as as young women, where you know that, that idea of consent and. know like what does consent really mean and what's its value and how much does it matter when you're faced with men and their views or the criminal justice system like and the police that may or may not take it seriously or how what what does consent actually mean how what's its value for a woman and i certainly know that um i had um you know sexual experiences as a young woman that i where, where in hindsight i wasn't in a position to give consent whether that was because I wasn't of the age of consent or whether it was because I was under the influence or whether that was because you know I was put in a situation where it was easier to just fake consent than try and talk my way out of what could potentially be a very dangerous situation yeah and I think we've we've I know I've had countless countless experiences like that
1: and I can echo that
0: And, and I don't think that's you know when when you and I have conversations I always sort of think if you and I share this in common you know something that we've hidden or something that we consider to be quite either shameful or unusual actually it's not it's probably an experience that's sh- that's shared by loads and loads of women the fact that it would only you know um, affect these two best friends randomly
1: yeah is, is too coincidental no that that would be too coincidental and that's where we have to kind of recognize that there must be a common theme and why are women not talking up or young women not talking up and what can we do to ensure that we do find that voice Mm. and I think that's a conversation we'll have to have another time Mm. and um, maybe perhaps others may have views or opinions that they'd like to share with us.
0: Yeah it certainly feels like this is not the end of this conversation we'd we'd like to we'd like this to be a piece that encourages other women to come forward and if they feel confident to you know share and 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 not feel that shame or that stigma and you know be able to to play a part in changing this because it has to be changed so um thank you for listening to our podcast and we'd also like to hear if you have any um themes or topics that you think that we ought to discuss do get in touch with us and you can visit our website at pandora secretbox.com and visit the contact page and do send us a message so thank you for listening and and thank you Nadia well thank you too and thank you people for listening and we hope to hear from you bye bye